What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. You're listening to Electrician Live with your host, Paul Abernathy. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to today's podcast. As the intro stated, my name is Paul Abernathy, as always, and I want to welcome you to our podcast where we talk about all things electrical for electricians. But on today's episode, we're going to keep it very educational because we're going to talk about a specific product uh, and how it relates to the National Electrical Code. And we'll talk about the standard that's associated with it because there's still people who don't understand some of these products. And if you're wondering by now, the suspense is killing you. We're talking about metal clad cable, type MC cable. Now, you would think by now most of the people understand it, but believe it or not, a wide variety of calls I get or topics of emails or conversations is that people really don't understand MC cable and different types of MC cables, the different styles, uh, whether it can be used in a wet, dry, damp, uh, what is a healthcare facility type of MC, which people tend to call healthcare grade, and it's not really healthcare grade, it's healthcare facility uh, type of products. And so we want to kind of do that and talk about it. Now, of course, all the references that we give today in this podcast uh, are going to be associated around the 2020 National Electrical Code. But to be honest with you, when we're talking metal clad cable, it's really not a whole lot of changes that took place uh, in Article 330 of the National Electrical Code when it comes to MC cable. Uh, a couple things changed when it comes to uh, talking about uh, conductors and the minimum conductor size and incorporating copper clad aluminum in there and you know making those folks happy. Uh, but for the most part, it stays pretty consistent. Uh, any references to tables that have changed have been changed. But other than that, the pure content of 330 has not changed at all. So uh, it shouldn't take us long to go over it, and I'll give you some of my insights with it. Obviously, a disclaimer, I work for a company that manufactures type MC cable. I will never reference the company uh, that I work for uh, because we want to keep this general. So this is going to apply to different uh, manufacturers as well. So we want to keep it really a a high-level general conversation about metal clad cable or MC cable. Now, in the National Electrical Code, hopefully you've got an edition of it, and if you've got your 2020, it's going to be pretty easy. But again, like I said, the 2017 code is still relevant. The information we're talking about is still relevant. Uh, so it doesn't have to be a shocker to you. Anything that I tell you uh, that is highlighted, that is a change in the 2020 code, I will make it known so that you understand it. If you're following along with the 2017 code, that's perfectly fine as well. Not a problem. So the Article 330, again, if you've done any code training and you're trying to learn the different articles to be able to regurgitate them on demand, whether you're taking an exam or whatnot, uh, you're, you're pretty much familiar with 330, which is metal clad cable, which we refer to as type MC. So it's a metal clad armor. Now that armor could be steel armor or it could be aluminum armor. 
Okay, so again, you have different options. Um, the one thing that I tell people out the out the gate, the real difference between MC cable and, for example, AC cable, which is covered under Article 320, is that AC cable usually limits you to the size of conductors, and I say usually it's definitely limits you to the size, one uh, one gauge and smaller, whereas MC cable does not limit you, okay? Uh, it get, lets you go up, and so if you're looking through 330 and you, you stroll on down to part three for construction, then you're going to see some aspects of the sizing, uh, and it says the conductors of minimum conductor size is 14 for copper, nickel, or nickel-coated copper, and 12 for aluminum or copper-coated aluminum, okay? So that's your minimum size. But one of the interesting things for the 2020 NEC is a new product came out on the industry called MCPCS. Now, different manufacturers refer to it by many names. One manufacturer calls it uh, MC Duo. The other one calls it MCLED. Uh, so... Basically, there's incorporated signaling and control conductors, usually class 2, class 3, inside. It's a cable inside of the armor assembly, uh, and it has to have that sheeting on it as a separator uh, between the normal branch circuit conductors or power conductors. So there has to be that separation, and it allows this to take place because of the sheathing, uh, and it's 30 mils of sheathing that encompasses those low-voltage class 2, class 3 conductors. And it comes together in an assembly itself, and it allows them to be together so you can do things like control uh, smart buildings where the lighting is controlled to the, the interface for the electronics and dimming and turning things off uh, and all of that. Whereas in the past, you run two separate. You run separate class two or class three, and you run separate power to the luminaire or something like that. Uh, and it's not just for luminaires. I mean, it could be any type of product that has both a need for, say, 600-volt power uh, or less. And it also has a need for the control aspect of which usually is 0 to 10-volt applications for the control feature. Um, so it's not just limited to luminaires. Uh, but that was incorporated into the 2020 code to allow that construction because many of us manufacturers are producing it right now. Now, for some people that say, well... Does that mean that I can't use it under the 2017 code? I would argue that it's still MC cable, and MC cable is listed and labeled, so it still qualifies under Article 330. So we just were clarifying the construction specifications in the 2020 code, which the manufacturers are already deeply in tuned with anyway. Okay, so just kind of that's just kind of some some interesting things, unless I forget to mention it during the show. But that's a new product that's out there. Uh, under different names from different manufacturers, and the code does allow this to take place under Article 725. All right, so let's kind of get into it. So there's three parts that are involved with Article 330. There's the general, which is Part 1. Then you have Part 2, which is the installation requirements. Really important to understand how these are broken down. Uh, And then, of course, you get into Part 3, which we talked about just now, which is the construction specifications, which are generally taken care of already by the manufacturers. So no need to have your brain go into brain overload and learn all of these construction specifications because the manufacturers have to have their products listed and labeled. And so we're going to meet that requirement as a manufacturer. But they're there to give you an idea of the aspects of the construction requirements in case you might get something that comes overseas it might be counterfeit and you might be able to identify immediately that it doesn't meet these construction specifications and of course then it might be a red flag that it's some kind of counterfeit now our nurdles nationally recognized testing laboratories do a good job of weeding all that out but you know just in case
All right, so let's start back at uh, part one, which is the general information. And so we start all articles with a point one section, which is the scope. So 330.1 scope, it says this article covers the use, the installation, and construction specifications of metal clad cable, referred to as type MC cable. Now, of course, MC cable comes in many different types of flavors before we even get started in here. Uh, And all of these fall under UL 1569. So that is the actual construction standard that all manufacturers have to adhere to before we can put it out into the public use. In other words, we're protecting you, the general public, by setting some minimum safety standards as far as construction is concerned under UL 1569. Now, interesting enough, AC cable... Uh, which dates all the way back to UL4. It's been around a lot longer than type MC cable, but is dramatically different. One of the things that steps out with traditional MC versus AC cable, in case you didn't know, is that the AC cable, you're allowed to use the armor itself as an equipment grounding conductor with a proper fitting and all of that. That is inherent with AC cable. With MC cable, The armor itself is not to be utilized as an equipment grounding conductor. That's just your standard run-of-the-mill type MC cable. Uh, Because of these convolutions and how they make it, and because a fault that can get imposed onto the armor could create a choke effect due to the spiral effect of the actual armor, without getting too overly technical, it can create a choke effect, and it actually, you do want to bond it, and that's important to bond it each end with the proper fitting, but to require it to be utilized as an effective ground fault current path as it sits, it's not really going to be uh, something that we can do. With AC cable, you have the grounding slash bonding conductor that runs down the entire process of the cable assembly. And once you get to the end, you can either bend it back and it sits nicely within the convolutions or, or you just snip it off. Now, we have a product with MC cable that is very much like that. And I'll talk about that later because we want to keep it basic right now. So standard MC, you can't use the armor as an effective ground fault current path. Uh, If you go to 250.118, you'll see a list of what can be considered an equipment grounded conductor. You will see that there is an option for MC, but the standard MC doesn't qualify. So remember that. That's why all MC cable, the branch circuit style, and even feeder are going to have an equipment grounded conductor installed inside of it. Another interesting fact is that the conductor, and we're not talking about healthcare facility applications, whereas if you have the um, MC cable for healthcare facility, it's got to have an insulated green equipment grounding conductor. We're talking regular MC, so the equipment grounding conductor can be insulated or it could be bare. And so many times when you see larger feeder type MC, you're probably going to see a bare uh, equipment grounding conductor, whereas the branch size for convenience, it's usually going to be the insulated. Okay, but it could be bare or it could be insulated. So just keep that in mind. Okay. All right. So as we move through here, we now have a 330.2 definition. Now, this is all grayed out here in the 2020 code. So I'm going to read it and let you know here we're dealing with a national electrical code change for 2020. And it says the definition in this section shall apply within this section and throughout the code. Okay, so all of the definitions that that are here in the next one, obviously, is the definition of what metal clad cable is. Anywhere it makes reference to metal clad cable, this definition is is going to apply. Okay, so what definition are we talking about? The very first one and actually the only one that's actually under dot two. Uh, Interesting enough, let me give you another tip as you're learning the National Electrical Code throughout the NEC dot two or section two is going to cover definitions. 
Okay, so you have definitions that'll be under dot two. That means they're very much germane specifically to this specific article, because if they were to apply to more than one article, then the code standard um, of manual of style is going to require that the definition move to article 100 because it's used in more than one article. Uh, in this case, the definition of MC is right here in dot two because it's very much germane to article 330. Uh, but it is used in other places in the code as reference. Okay, so just keep that in mind. And now the new language in dot two makes it clear that yes, it's listed here, but it could be used throughout the code. So don't get confused. Okay, so that's how we're we're moving forward with that. Uh, the next thing that's that's uh, here in three thirty is oh, sorry about that. Definitions. What is a metal clad cable? Type MC cable. It is a factory assembly of one or more insulated circuit conductors with or without optical fiber members uh, enclosed in an armor of interlocking metal tape or smooth corrugated metal sheathing. Now, that segues us into the different types of MC cable. If you've never seen them, the, the one that's used the most in our industry is going to be the interlocked. Uh, everybody makes it. It literally exactly constructed as it sounds. You put this strip of metal in it, whether it's steel or aluminum, and it has a forming die that actually causes it to spiral around the conductor cable assembly, and it interlocks together so that it's kind of hooked in place, and it's flexible, and that is called interlocked. Now, the difference is you have what's smooth and corrugated, and depending on the manufacturer, you could have corrugated, which is an interlocked, but it's actually welded convolutions. Uh, but then you have the smooth, and the smooth pretty much is a continuous extrusion. Okay, that's a, a pretty much a continuous extrusion of a sheathing material over top of the uh, cabled conductors. Okay, so we have three different types: you have interlocked, you have smooth, and you have corrugated. Now, what's significant about that? Well, interlocked is pretty much used most all locations, but you do have some rules for like hazardous location applications where they might call for a smooth or a corrugated. Uh, and so you just want to be aware in the code it will call out. Now, if it just says MC, then it's MC. Uh, one example of this would be above a suspended ceiling in 300.21 and 22, all of those conversations about above a suspended ceiling, which is if it was environmental airspace, and it tells you that MC can be installed above that. Uh, and so that could be interlocked, that could be smooth, that could be corrugated, okay? Um, so all of those, you know, you'll see some references to MC. If they specifically want to limit a certain type of MC to an application, then they will tell you in the code whether it's got to be smooth or it's corrugated, and that would exclude the use of an interlocked. But generally, interlock is the most widely used um, metal clad cable out there in the industry. By far outsells all of the other. Um, and so that kind of gives you an understanding. Now, the one thing also to explain to people is you notice it says a factory assembly or one or more insulated conductors. Uh, they do make an MC cable with a single conductor inside of it. Uh, and that is still considered a metal clad type MC cable. And that would be also referred to as a single conductor cable. Okay, If you're dealing in 392 and you want to know what that definition is of a single conductor cable, well, a single conductor inside of an MC armor would be a single conductor cable. 
Okay, so that kind of gives you some insight on, on that. Uh, the next one that we're looking at is 330.6, which is the listing requirement. So MC Cable is listed under UL 1569, and you can choose to have that listing from various nationally recognized testing laboratories. Now, there's a one that is the largest out there, and everybody's familiar with it. Uh, that is the 10,000-pound gorilla in the room, and they're a great organization. They do a great job of keeping the community safe by their listing requirements. Uh, but they're not the only one. There's other ones out there that you can utilize as a manufacturer. Now, what's interesting is UL 1569, as the name mentioned, it's a UL ANSI standard. Even if my facility has an inspection of all the wire and cable that we produce, let's say, uh, and they might be one specific company, um, we still have to construct it under the guidance of UL 1569. But as far as the third party that validates that we constructed it under that standard, you have a myriad of options. Okay, There's plenty of different options out there from UL, ETL, MET, uh, FM. There's different ones out there that, that you can go to and look, and OSHA has a website that lists all of them. Uh, and you can validate that and say, okay, well, that's a listed product, especially if they can, if they have the ability to list under UL 1569. So you always want to want to double check that. Okay, so everyone has to be listed, and it also goes on to say that Type MC cable shall be listed. Fittings used to connect Type MC cable to boxes, cabinets, or other equipment shall be listed and identified for such of use. Okay, so um, so now the fittings also have to be listed for that application as well. Uh, and they have to be listed to be used with MC Cable. Now, interesting thing about the connector industry, and a big shout out to uh, the Big Orange, you know, Bridgeport, uh, and there's others as well. But they do a lot of testing with their fittings for use with all different manufacturers type MC Cable. And all MC Cable has an interior diameter and an exterior diameter. And it's really important for fittings to make sure that when you're looking at it, that you get the right fitting that covers the scope of the MC cable in question. Now, all of that information on the sizing of MC cable is all available for the manufacturer. They have to publish that data. Most of them have a product cut sheet. You can go right to their website. Some are more easier to navigate than others. But you can get that information and you can start your journey with sizing your fittings from that because you need to know what the actual diameter is the cable assembly inside of the actual MC to make sure it fits through the throat of the connector. But then you also have to have the diameter of the actual cable assembly as well, and it comes in a range, so that would actually works adequately with the connector of that you select. Uh, if you choose the wrong one, then the wires can't uh, fit through the throat. That's a problem. Uh, and if you choose a connector that's too big, they won't make adequate connection to the actual cable assembly. That's a problem too because there's a pullout test that they adhere to. And so you have to make sure that you're syncing these two things up. And that's real important that you're doing that. Okay, But listing. Another interesting thing that people ask is what about the use of those anti-short bushings, the, the red hats, or some people call them uh, redheads. There's many names uh, throughout the, the country. The accurate term for them is an anti-short bushing that actually goes in between the armor and the insulated conductors. Now, that is required on AC cable. Under 330, uh, 320.40, we'll state that specifically. Well, you're not going to get that same language under Article 330. 
Now, another misconception that we have is it just because the manufacturers supply you with a little baggie of these anti-short bushings, they're not required and it's not part of our listing for you to use them on our MC cable. We give them to you because we think that nine times out of a ten, the inspectors or the installers don't know any different because they're so used to using AC cable or using these anti-shorts that they want them. And of course, you can use them and any extra protection between the armor and the actual insulated conductors is a great thing. Usually this is already built into the connector and there's it's done for a reason. That's why if you look at the end of the connector, you'll notice this is a little more of kind of a guide material or in at the end of an MC connector than it is an AC connector, although you can get MC connectors that are also AC MC that are also MCI-A for use in a healthcare application and with products that have what's called enhanced armor. And we'll talk about those products a little bit later. But the real point here was MC cable does not require an anti-short bushing, although we'll give them to you. You can use them if you want, but they're not required. AC cable, they are required. Ken, so there's still a, a fair number of people that reach out to us all the time and me and ask about the, the anti-short bushings. And they say, well, you send them, so that's part of your listing. That's not true. Um, that is not part of our listing. That is a courtesy. And I can tell you what, most companies that supply those, even when they're not required to supply them, cost them about $100,000 a year just to supply because of the volume, those little anti-short bushings, and they're not required for MC cable. Kind of just wanted to throw that out there. All right, so that's all of our part one, and that really covers the general information, and I gave you some other information as well as we as we move through, but that's just a good kind of an overview. Now, let's look at part two. This is the installation. This is the meat and potatoes when you're dealing with MC cable. You've got a section 10, which is dealing with the uses permitted, where you're permitted to use an MC cable. And then, of course, you've got uh, a dot 12 or section 12 that deals with uses not permitted. Okay, So we have these these two that were kind of these dance that we're going to walk through. We're going to kind of do a quick overview of section 10 and section 12 to kind of give you a flavor of when you can and when you can't use an MC product. All right, so the first thing we look at, uses permitted, we had the general uses. So this is a general overview of where we could use MC cable. Now, this is going to talk about the use when it comes to application, like as conductors for like services, feeders, brand circuits, but it's also going to talk about location. And again, all of those are going to be encompassed under uses permitted. So they're kind of mixed together, if you will, in this actual section. Now, we're at subdivision A uh, in the 2020 code. It's broken down into an A and a B uh, and a C. Uh, and so, no, actually, sorry, no C, just A and a B. thought that was more than that. Uh, and so let's look at it. So the first one in A is a general use. It says type MC cable shall be permitted as follows. So it's a permissive statement. It's not said required. It's permitted because there's a myriad of other type of wiring methods that you could use. All right, so this is just one that's permitted for you to use. Number one, it says for service feeders and brand circuits. So can I use MC cable for feeder applications from a meter to the panel board? Absolutely. Um, can I use it for feeders? That's from the panel to a remote distribution panel. Absolutely. Can I use it out to brand circuits? Probably what's used the most in 12 gauge and commercial uh, or 10 gauge MC. Uh, that is probably the most prominent used uh, size when it comes to MC cable for brand circuit applications. Absolutely. Uh, that can be utilized. 
Uh, item number two says for power, lighting, control, and signal circuits. Absolutely. So we use it for power to power the lights, receptacles, things like that. Uh, our lighting, all of that's fine. Control, uh, there is aspects of MC cable that is an FPLP and all that that's utilizing control and signaling applications as well. Uh, another aspect of this would be our MC cable again that we talk about that has the class two and class three cable inside of the armor with the power conductors. Okay, so those would be signaling control circuits all integrated together. And again, it falls under the umbrella of MC cable. And so that's an accepted practice. Uh, the next one is more location driven and it's item three. And that says indoors or outdoors. So can I use MC cable indoors? Absolutely. Um, can I use it outdoors? Absolutely, if it's the type that is permitted to be used outdoors. So when we say that, what are we talking about? Well, indoors, regular MC. Outdoors, it's MC with a PVC jacketing, or some people want to say PVC covering. Okay, So it's a PVC poly, uh, polyvinyl chloride that it's extruded over top of it, and that gets a direct burial rating from most manufacturers, but it also kicks it into a wet location rating. Now, you have to remember that 99.9% of the time, the conductors that are inside of that MC cable are either THHN, THWN-2, or XHHW-2. It's a cross-link polyethylene. Uh, that is going to be rated for a wet location. Now, interesting enough, what about damp locations? Nothing inside of 330 or UL 1569 talks about damp locations. So what we have to do is realize that in a minute you're going to see that MC cable is geared towards a dry location. But when you want to use it in a location that would be considered a wet location, then it's going to have to be PVC jacketed or some other type of jacketing material, maybe a thermal setting, polyolefin or whatever options you might have out there. But you have to have the jacketing. Now, that's important because what if it's a damp location? Well, if it's a damp location, based on the way the code is written right now and the way the UL standard is written, I would have to treat that damp location uh, under a more restrictive requirement and treat it as a wet location because a wet location can obviously be used in a damp. But I also could use a wet location, a PVC jacketed, in a dry location if I wanted to. Again, that's just simply design specific. But I can't take a standard MC that doesn't have the PVC that's designed for a dry location and now put it in a wet location. Okay, you get me? So it can be used indoors, in walls, in construction, above suspended ceilings, indoors. Outdoors, you got to do something a little different. You need to look at the products that you can actually direct bury or run out in a wet location or even a damp location. Okay, so that's the kind of the indoor and outdoor. But they're not they're they're, they're permitted to do this as long as you know what you're doing and what you're selecting as a designer of systems or user. Uh, the next thing is item four talks about exposed or concealed. So exposed means that I could run it on the surface. Uh, again, understand that it's not to be subject to physical damage. Again, that is subjective to the inspector and the installation and what's around you that could potentially damage it. Uh, hopefully, people use great judgment on that and inspectors use a little bit of common sense when it f comes around that. Okay, so a little bit of common sense is going to be needed when we make a judgment for that. Uh, the next thing that we're looking at is concealed. So concealed means concealed behind walls, inside of walls, uh, you know, above suspended ceilings, which if you move a actual uh, panel is pretty much considered exposed, but you have the ability to conceal it 
and expose it. So MC Cable is perfectly acceptable for that. Uh, and I would say nine times out of ten, it is installed, concealed inside of the framing members and walls, whether it's metal studs or wood studs. You can use it in both. Uh, item number five is to be direct buried when identified for such use. So if it's got D-I-R-B-U-R on the side of it, or I guess they could also spell it all the way out, but it costs you more ink in the production process. If you're producing literally millions of feet, you want to use as little ink as you necessary. Um, if it's labeled as direct buried, then you know what? You can put it outside directly in the ground. And then chances are you also want to make sure that the inners are rated for that wet location. And again, if it's THHN slash THWN-2, then it is rated for wet. Or if it's XHHW-2, which are the two predominant wire types that are used in MC cable, then it would be rated for wet location as well. And to be able to direct bury it, you're going to have to put it in an MC with a PVC uh, jacketing material. Okay. So the next number we have is number six. Now, number six is in cable trays were identified for such use. Now, in this application, tray cable gets evaluated to under UL 1685 method one, had different types of flame tests. That's the minimum requirement to be used in a cable tray. Uh, and so you use it in a cable tray. Um, and there are many times that people want more enhanced ratings like FT4, which is a Canadian version of, of a uh, test for the flame test. Or its equivalent of the FT4 or IEEE-1202 is also the UL-1685 Method 2 as well. But you have to remember that just to be in the cable tray in the application, it only has to meet the base requirements. Many people seem to go overboard and start making things be IEEE-1202 or FT4, and they really don't understand that that might not be necessary that most of the time people just see it on a specification or engineers specify it. And to be honest with you, I don't know that they really know why they're doing it. They just simply do it when you might not even need those enhanced ratings. Okay, uh, You only need it to meet the base minimum to be used in a cable tray, and that would be UL1685 Method 1. Uh, so, But anyway, if it is rated for cable tray use, it'll have that on there, and if it's identified, then it can go into a cable tray. Of course, that's all governed under UL392, and it does give you guidelines for using uh, different types of cables in a cable tray assembly. And one note is that I'm going to have a show in the future that deals with cable trays, sizing conductors, and and everybody asks questions about the opacity of conductors once they're in a cable tray and the width and how you size cable tray. Don't worry, we're going to have a show coming up on that. And I think that needs to be more visual. I don't know that I can do a podcast on that. Probably going to have to do a visual one for that one. Okay. Next item we have on the list is item number seven, and that is any, any raceway. Now, that's interesting because a lot of people think that you can't put MC cable inside of a raceway like a PVC or a rigid or intermediate. All of those are raceways, and a cable is not a raceway. It's a cable assembly. But there are many cases where you put it in here, and you're going to see in a minute when we look at use is not permitted, you could have an application where it's subject to physical damage. And if that's the case, then you protect it with a raceway. Now, interesting thing about putting a cable in a raceway, if it's just one stick or joint or one piece of a raceway, and it's not a complete system, means in other words, it doesn't go from box to box with a fitting in a raceway, it's just a like a, a stubbed up piece or a short piece 
to get through an area where it is subject to physical damage, then if that's the case, you don't have to do anything about raceway fill in that because it's simply there to protect it. Uh, and you're afforded that allowance in Chapter 9 in uh, Table 1 and the various notes that are associated with that. However, if it's a complete assembly, in other words, I got a junction box and another junction box and a raceway between them, and I want to pull an MC cable in that raceway, well, then you have to treat that cable as if it was a single conductor, and you have to do a raceway fill calculation, uh, and you have to treat it as a single conductor under Chapter 9, Table 1, and you have your percentages when you're dealing with a single conductor. So you got to think about that. So there's a difference whether you're protecting it or you're pulling it through raceways as a complete system. And yes, you're allowed to do that. Uh, okay? All right, so at the end of the day, can you put MC cable in a raceway? Absolutely. And there's many reasons why you might want to do that. Uh, the next one is item number eight, and that says as an aerial cable on a messenger. So messengers are when you go from one building to another building, okay? Uh, outside, you might be running a messenger to get from point A to point B. Uh, I don't necessarily think it always has to be outside, but you have a messenger, and that is really what a messenger is, is a supporting system. It's actually supporting the weight of the cable assembly, in this case, an MC cable. Uh, You can do other types of cable assemblies with a messenger as well, Uh, but in our case, when we're talking MC cable, uh, you have to make sure that you lash it in a way that it actually supports uh, the MC cable from that messenger system, whether it's on rings or actual lashing type of uh, of system, but it is permitted to do that. So it can be used as an aerial cable on a messenger. Good to know, right? From point A to point B across a span between two buildings. There you go. MC cable is a good candidate for that. Uh, the next one is item number nine. Again, we're talking uses permitted. And it allows me to use MC cable in a hazardous classified location But there's a caveat to that. It says we're specifically permitted by other articles in this code. So when we're talking MC cable, remember, we're talking uh, all three types here. Interlocked, we're talking smooth or corrugated as an overall MC cable. When you get into specific articles, for example, Article 501 uh, for hazardous locations, Uh, Class 1, Division 1s, and 2s. And when you start moving into the different articles that deal with hazardous locations, then they're going to have specific restrictions on the type that can be used in certain applications. Like you wouldn't use interlock, for example, in in a a Class 1, Division 1, but there's applications where it might allow a smooth or corrugated in those applications. So there's different aspects that you, you need to look at. With that said, I also have to revisit something that I didn't mention. The one other key difference between interlocked, smooth, and corrugated is that the smooth and corrugated, the armor can be used as an equipment grounded conductor right out the box, you know, right out the gate. Whereas, again, the interlocked cannot. That's going to have an insulated equipment grounded conductor or bare equipment grounded conductor inside the cable assembly. So the armor itself for interlocked cannot be used as an equipment grounded conductor under the standard type of MC. But smooth and corrugated are listed under 250.118 as an equipment grounding conductor, so you're good to go. So that is just another subtle difference, so you know the difference. Uh, if you're thinking, well, then I'll just go with smooth or corrugated, you probably have a harder time finding that on a shelf at your supply house than you would the interlocked. Plus, they're going to put an equipment ground in there anyway, so there's no big deal. But there are applications like this item number nine says that you might get in hazardous location where it might specifically call out one specific type 
of MC Cable. Okay, so you just need to be aware of that. So that's item number nine uh, of where you can use that. The next one is uh, one we kind of alluded to earlier about the locations, uh, and this is item number 10, and it is called in dry locations. So use is permitted. MC cable can be used in dry location. That's its primary function inside of walls, any application where it's considered a dry location. But it also says that you can use it in dry locations and you can embed it in a plaster finish on brick or other masonry except in a damp or wet location. So if I have brick or masonry and I chisel it out and I want to put it in the plaster to create a finished surface, uh, I can do all that in brick and masonry, but the location that I'm doing it in has to be considered a dry location. It can't be a damp or wet location. Okay, Brick and masonry is porous, holds moisture, all those type of things. So again, Define a dry location. You can go over to Article 100, and we can see the definition of dry, wet, and damp location. That should help you qualify the location that you're dealing with. But again, if it's a dry location, can I put MC Cable in plaster finish? Absolutely. I can embed it in there. But you got to know the location itself. So you kind of follow those rules. Identify the use, identify the location, and then identify whether or not the product can be used in that application. Uh, Now, we just dealt with dry locations, so that takes us to item 11, and item 11 deals with the wet locations, and as I said, you see nothing in here about damp, okay? You simply see everything about either dry or wet location, all right? All right, so wet locations, item number 11, it says, in wet locations where a corrosion-resistant jacket is provided over the metallic covering, And any of the following conditions are met. So I've got some options here. It's not just one way of construction here. So first things first, I have to have a corrosion-resistant jacket that's provided over top of the metallic covering. So that's our PVC jacketed. So we're dealing with a wet location, okay? I think another thing is interesting that I should point out, because there's been a lot of debate about whether or not you can use MC cable in applications like swimming pools in Article 680, Uh, And I will tell you that it is very much specific inside of 330 that the material that we put over top of our MC cable is very much corrosion resistant already by virtue of its construction design and evaluation. Okay, just wanted to throw that out there in case you were confused at where code panel 17 was going when it talks about a corrosive environment because there's a lot of confusion up there. So I just wanted to make sure you understood that. All right, so. I've got to have the corrosion-resistant jacket provided over the metallic covering. It doesn't tell you that it's PVC. It could be polymeric, uh, like a polyolefin or whatever, but most manufacturers will use a PVC material. And PVC is very resistant to corrosion, by the way, in case you didn't know that. Why? Because half the stuff in the pool industry that if it's a corrosive environment is plastic. It's PVC. The PVC liner, the vinyl liners, it's a form of PVC. Um, and so, you know, in case people say, no, it's not PVC. Uh, hello, PVC means polyvinyl chloride. Okay. Vinyl. All right. So anyway, all of the plumbing, the piping, the chemical storage containers, and all of this stuff is a PVC material. So hello. Okay. Anyway, some people don't seem to understand that, but you know, we'll try to help them as we move along, I guess. Now let's look at the three options for construction. Again, corrosive resistant jacket. PVC material, we'll go with that. Uh, Then we have the armor. It could be steel or aluminum armor. We've kind of covered that. So now it says A, you could have a metallic covering is impervious to moisture, okay? 
So the metallic covering itself is impervious to moisture. So that tells me it would be something like a a fully welded, corrugated, or smooth might be something that would fall under that category. Not Certainly not the uh, interlocked, which is probably the most predominantly used. So that's one option. It might not apply to the more cost-effective uh, interlocked type of armor. Uh, the next one is B, and that is a jacket resistant to moisture is provided under the metal covering. Okay, so we could actually take the actual inner conductors and then extrude a jacket material over top of them. So what you would have is a PVC material over top of the armor, and then you would have internal conductors, okay, that have a material extruded over them. Now, the one difference here is those inner conductors would not have to be rated for a wet location because of the jacket that's extruded over top of it, okay? Probably not going to happen in our industry because usually everything's dual rated or triple rated, so it's going to have THH in. That would be equivalent to putting THH in only inside of the MC cable and then putting a jacket extruded over that, kind of like a tray cable effect, over top of it, and then putting that inside of an armor and then you have a corrosive-resistant jacket extruded over top of that. Seems like a lot of overkill to do that. Quite costly, right? So what is option C? And this is the one that most all manufacturers utilize. And C says, the insulated conductors under the metallic armor are listed for use in a wet location. Oh, bingo. There you go, right? That is the one that actually is going to... Here you go. There you go. That's the one that most of us... Are going to produce okay, and so we're going to put THHN slash THWN 2 inside of it okay, and then we're going to extrude PVC material over top of the armor, and together we create a product, an MC that's available for use in a wet location okay, and that's what item 11 is all about. So I kind of broke that down for you to get a better understanding. And then we end on item number 12, and this is the last one in the general uses permitted under 310 excuse me, 330.10a, and that is single conductor cables are you where single conductor cables are used, all phase conductors and where used, the grounded conductor shall be grouped together to minimize induced voltage on the sheathing. So this is kind of, if you're not familiar with this, have your mind think about a MI cable. And an MI cable is a single conductor cable. And so when we run those, we run them in close proximity to reduce the induced voltage on that sheathing as it comes to an enclosure and can create an extremely bad condition. And so we have to run all those conductors together and bring it together as they go through equipment. So this is the same concept. So if you do want to use single individual MC cables with a single conductor in it, you're permitted to do that um, if you want to route it that way. But you want to make sure that all the phase conductors and all the grounded conductors are all grouped together as they come into an enclosure, as they come to, as they're being installed, because you you want to reduce that induced voltage, which can create a problem, okay? So, this is just telling you, yes, I'll let you use a single conductor cable. And incidentally, for those who have argued in 392 that there's no such thing as a single conductor cable, it says right here that it's a single conductor cable. Hello, no-brainer. So, again, we're learning a lot today, uh, and this is going to serve you well when you go up to 392 and you wonder what a single conductor cable is, because we need to clarify that in 2023, 
But also just want to make people aware of what a single conductor cable is because THHN, THWN-2, XHHW-2 is not a single conductor cable. That's a single insulated conductor. Causes quite a bit of confusion up in 392.10. Trust me, we'll cover that in another podcast. All right, so now let's move on to specific uses. 330.10b, specific use. It says, Type MC cables shall be permitted to be installed in compliance with Part 2 and 3 of Article 725, Signaling Control, and 770.133 as applicable and in accordance with 330.10b1 through b4. So now we've got to be 1, b2, b3, b4, and we have to look at each one of those. So we have some specific uses for MC cables. So again, it can be used as a low voltage application, uh, control and signaling. It can be utilized in fiber optic applications. All these things are kind of controlled here. So let's talk about specific use. You have a B1, so it's 330.10B1 for cable trays. Now, it's a cable, so it makes sense that we'd be able to use a cable in a cable tray. So all we're doing here is reminding you that type MC cable installed in a cable tray has to comply with 392.10.12.18.20.22.30.46, blah, blah, blah. So basically it's saying, you know what? Go ahead and put MC cable. It's a cable. That's what a cable tray is for. Remember, cable tray is not a raceway. It's a supporting system. And we're putting this product in there. And we have to make sure that just because we can use MC cable in that cable tray, we do have rules in 392 which deal with cable trays that we have to be very much aware of. And again, they can change the impacity of a conductor. Uh, they can change how you install it in a cable tray. So again, 330 deals with the, the, the application of where you can and where you can't use MC. But then where you're using it in conjunction with another product like a cable tray, you do have to worry about those rules that are in 392 for cable trays. It's such an interesting dance that we do in the code, and that's why some people find it so hard, is because you have to understand the specific rules for the product, but then you have to understand how it's being used and where you're going to use it. And there might be rules where we use it that we have to remember, that we have to take uh, into account. Okay, So that's an important thing to always remember. The next one is B2. So again, we're at 330.10B2, direct burial. So even though we alluded to the fact that it can be used in a wet location, we understand wet locations in 300.5, uh, and we understand above ground and below ground application. We get it, wet locations. Um, so it says here for direct buried. So it says direct buried cables shall comply with 300.5 and 300.50. So, again, as appropriate. So you're going to have rules that you have to follow, depth of cover, how deep it has to be, all that kind of stuff. And, again, if it's going to be rated for direct burial, MC Cable will have that marked on the side of it. You don't have to overthink it. Your inspector doesn't have to overthink it. Just simply look for the markings, look for the listing, and you're good to go. Accept it and move on. It's already been evaluated. No sense in recreating the wheel on that. Uh, the next one is 330.10B3, installed as service entrance cable. Now, we already saw up in 330.10A1 that it can be used as services. But here we're seeing that, okay, B3 is saying when it's installed as service entrance cable, it says type MC cable installed as service entrance cable shall be permitted in accordance with 230.43. Now, of course, 230.43 is actually the list 
of the wiring methods that are acceptable for service entrance conductors. So this is just a harmonization, making sure that you know that MC Cable is listed under service conductors under Article 230, and it's also here giving you that additional guidance of where they kind of harmonize together. So again, we already know that we're going to use it, or we can use it as service entrance cable, uh, but it's just a good recap for us. Uh, On 330.10b4, This one is dealing with an aerial cable that we just talked about. So we know that it's permitted to be used as aerial cable. Now we're seeing that it says where it's installed outside of a building or structure or as aerial cable, that it has to meet the requirements of 225.10, which is dealing with the uh, outside brand circuit and feeders. Uh, Then it's dealing with 396, which is messenger requirements. So because it is being connected to a messenger for an aerial application. So all we're doing right here is saying that when it's installed outside the buildings or structures or as an aerial cable, then you just there's some other rules that you have to be aware of. So just remember, you don't have to commit that to memory. You just need to know if I'm going to put my MC cable and I'm going from outside building to building, or I'm going to use it outside of a building, or I'm going to use it as an aerial cable, there are other code sections that I have to be aware of. Not everything is is right here in Article 330 because this is very much product-driven, and other areas of the code are be what it's going to give us guidance for their installation applications as well. Okay, So that covers all of 330.10a and b. Now we're going to move into uses not permitted, where you specifically just cannot use MC cable. Number one, let's read it here. It says, type MC cable shall not. Now that's a mandatory statement, okay? It simply says it shall not be used under either of these following conditions. And we have two conditions. Number one, you cannot use MC cable where is it subject to physical damage. Interesting enough that MC cable under UL 1569, is subjected to a crush and impact test. Okay, so whether it's one and less or one and smaller, it's a 1,000 pounds and two and larger, I believe, don't quote me, it's right there at the same size, then it's 2,000 pounds, okay? And so it does get a pretty healthy test for crush and impact, but it does not in itself, because of those tests and because of that standard, allow you to put it in locations where it would be subject to physical damage. Again, That is going to be subjective to the inspector. You need to work together. Something that's obvious is if I have MC cable installed in a location that's protected by larger equipment and the chance of it getting damaged is slim than none because it would have to take out the equipment, then use a little common sense and allow it to be back there. It's not subject to really physical damage. Now, if you were installing it out in a bay where cars are pulling in and out and you drive like me, and it's sitting there exposed, then there's a chance that it can be very much subject to physical damage. And that's where we have the allowance and the uses permitted to install it in a raceway. So I could put it in a piece of rigid, or I could put it in a piece of Schedule 80 PVC, add that extra level of protection. And if it's just a piece of stick of it, then it's not complete at both ends, then I can just run it through it and I don't have to worry about any adjustment or correction uh, or I don't have to do... um, because I've only got one cable in there, uh, I, I get away from that, and I don't have to worry about raceway fill because, again, it's not complete on both ends. Now, with that in mind, anytime you install uh, cable assemblies uh, in an ambient temperature that's other than 30 degrees Celsius uh, or 86 degrees Fahrenheit or the number of current carrying conductors exceeds three, then you're going to have to do an adjustment and correction. But we were just talking about one cable sleeved inside of a PVC, Schedule 80, or rigid for protection, then I don't really have to worry about all those things. 
Now, again, if the ambient temperature is at such a point that you have to take it into consideration, then you'd have to do that. But we're just kind of kind of talking the basics. Can I put it in a raceway? Yes. If it's subject to physical damage, I'm going to want to do that uh, because it can't be by itself in a location where it could be damaged. Now, number two says we're exposed to any of the destructive corrosive conditions in A or B. Okay, now we're talking corrosion again. Unless the metallic sheathing or armor is resistant to the conditions or is protected by material resistance to the conditions. Now, this is interesting because the first one, A, says direct buried in the earth or embedded in concrete unless identified for direct burial. So that's the question I get a lot. Well, if your PVC jacketed MC is listed for direct burial, then it can be installed into the earth perfectly fine. The earth is considered a corrosive environment. uh, And so uh, it's identified. It also can be embedded in concrete uh, because if it's identified as direct burial, then it is resistant to that corrosion, okay? So I'm not sure what they're worried about up in uh, uh, 680 when it comes to corrosive environment because MC cable, and I believe the code language in the 2020 code does permit MC cable in those environments the way it's written, the way it is. But anyway, they seem to people seem to go crazy up there. But the reality is it is resistant to the corrosion. That's the whole purpose of the PVC material, Okay or some other type of polymeric material uh, that's on it. So I just happen to know PVC is very resistant to corrosion effects. Okay, so that's A, and we do that. We'll give you the PVC jacketed MC product. The next one, it says, well, it can't be installed in corrosive environments that are exposed to cinder fills, uh, strong chlorides, uh, caustic alkalis, or vapors of chlorine or of hydrochloric acid. Okay, well... Notice what it said earlier, unless it has some kind of armor that is resistant to the condition or it's protected by a material that's resistant to the condition. I can tell you right now, PVC material is very resistant to vapors of chlorine, to hydrochloric acid or its vapors, because I did an 18-month study on it, and it is very much resistant to this. Another good example of that is typically pool water. Uh, is between 10 and 13% chlorinated water, uh, and it does create a vapor. But everything that's associated with pool equipment, when it comes to the PVC, um, it seems to hold up a lot better than a metallic surface, okay? And so PVC material is inherently uh, resistant to corrosive effects. Now, does that not mean that PVC material will dry out? Well, that's a difference between a rigid type of PVC like a Schedule 80 PVC or even a Schedule 40 PVC versus something that has a plasticizer in it that is a more pliable PVC material seems to last better long-term in those conditions. So that's why a PVC jacketed product is probably the best product for those environments. So even if rigid metal, intermediate metal is allowed in those locations by proxy of history, uh, they've never been evaluated for those types of conditions. But if you were to put PVC material on those, then you even have a better product in those corrosive environments. So why would you not want to use a PVC jacketed MC in those locations? Because again, manufacturers test for all different types of conditions and it's allowed to be directly buried in the earth and you don't know what chemicals could be in the earth. So we evaluate it that way. Okay. Also, incidentally, UL in 1569 does not have a specific test for corrosion for a jacketed MC cable, 
Okay. Some people want to think that. Some people want to say that in swimming pools where it says that you can use a PVC jacket at MC to for the motors, if it's a swimming pool motor, that's an option under 1569 to mark it as such, but nothing requires it to be marked that way. So normal PVC jacket material uh, MC has been utilized in those applications in swimming pool rooms and all that for literally decades without any problems. Okay. So anyway, kind of a little bit off on a tangent but just wanted you to understand that most manufacturers that produce a PVC jacket at MC will meet all of these conditions to be able to be used in these environments. Okay. All right. The next one we look at is 330.15 is exposed work. Remember, we saw that it, the MC cable can be utilized in exposed or concealed applications. So let's specifically talk about exposed work. In other words, you're going to actually see the MC cable. It says exposed runs of cable, and again, I'm at 330.15 if you're following along. Exposed runs of cable, except as provided in 300.11b, and we'll come back and look at that in a minute, uh, shall closely follow the surface of a building's finish or run on running boards, okay? This would be like plyboards or whatever that you put up, two by fours or whatever, and you run them on it uh, and you're supporting it on those uh, running boards. Uh, It says exposed runs shall also be permitted to be installed on the underside of joists where supported at each joist and located so as not to subject to physical damage. So this is interesting. So I can run it on the bottom of ceiling joists, which you know when you're dealing with with NMB, non-metallic sheath cable, you have to run it through board holes until you get up to a certain size, um, whereas it's at least two number sixes or three number eights. But when you're running it on the bottom, say under a crawl space or whatnot, you're going to need to go through board holes with NMB, non-metallic sheath cable. Here, we're going to let you run the MC, but you have to secure it from joist to joist, okay, so that it doesn't droop down, okay, so it has to be so, but you can do it if you would like, okay. Now, talking about 300.11b, it says except as provided in that, so 300.11b is an application where it's saying uh, that you can install it out to luminaires in suspended ceilings and things like that, and it not would not necessarily follow the contour of the actual building structure. So you have some allowances in there that would take care of that. So that's kind of the reference that it talks about except to that. All right, the next one we're looking at is 330.17, and that is through or parallel to framing members. Now, back in 300.4a, B, uh, A, C, and D, you have some applications where you run parallel or through framing members and how you have to protect the MC. Uh, here, we're going to give you some specific requirements. And here's what it says. It says, type MC cable shall be protected in accordance with 300.4A, C, and D or installed through or parallel to framing members. Okay, so when we look at 300.4a, we have to remember that that one is talking about when I'm running it through board holes. Okay, so that's wood. So it's wood framing members. So if I'm installing it through wood, uh, then I've got to meet the requirements the same as you would for a non-metallic sheet cable. I have to maintain one and a quarter inches. Okay, in that hole from the from the board hole from the edge of the hole to the nearest edge of the wood framing member, I have to maintain that inch and a quarter. If I can't maintain it, uh, then I've got to have a plate, a protective plate, steel plate, that is going to be at least one sixteenth of an inch thick, and that's going to give me that protection. And we're all familiar with the nail plates uh, and, and all those type of things. 
Okay, so that's kind of the flavor, and that also applies to notches in wood as well. Uh, of course, then you've got C as well that you have to be aware of. And when we look at C, we're dealing with C, which is cables through spaces behind panels designed to allow access. So all this rule is kind of saying is, look, you have cables or raceway type wiring methods, and they're installed behind these panels that are designed for me to allow me to get to it. They shall be supported in accordance with their applicable articles. In other words, it means, okay, if you have an access panel, we're dealing with MC cable. We haven't got to it yet, but you support it every six feet. You have to make sure that you're supporting it every six feet. And if there's a box back there, you're still going to terminate it within the requirements that are found in Article 330.30, okay? So that's just reminding you if if you're running behind panels that are designed to allow access, you're still going to have to meet the securing and supporting requirements for that specific uh, product type. In this case, type MC cable. And then, of course, D is talking about when you're running cables parallel to framing members and furring strips, Okay, so many times you're running it beside a furring strip, and if somebody misses it, then the nail of the screw could go right into the cable assembly. So if you're going to run parallel with it, this is just like the rules in 334 for NMB, is you want to make sure that you separate it off at least an inch and a quarter. And if you can't, then you're going to want to use a steel plate or sleeve or equivalent that is at least one sixteenth of an inch thick. Okay, so you got these different rules. And of course, you could sleeve it in uh, rigid metal, intermediate metal, rigid non-metallic, or even electrical metallic tubing, and then you don't have to put the protective nail plate. But that's part of the exceptions under 300.4D. So you get all these guidance on where to go, and you might already be familiar with it because you know how to protect NMB when you're running it through the members. Okay, so there you go. Interesting enough, this only deals with when it runs through board or, or um, uh, notched, only wood. It doesn't apply to the metal, okay? So just kind of keep that in mind. All right, the so next thing we're going to move on to is what about those attics? Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of places in the country. I tell you, Chicago, they hate MC cable, okay? But in many places of the country, there's a lot of MCs being used, uh, we cannot, as a manufacturer of MC cable, you can't hardly keep up with production. It's it's just an amazing wiring method that, that's flexible, it's strong, uh, and it's it's reliable. Uh, and so people are loving it. Uh, and then, of course, in all multifamily high-rise applications, people are widely using MC cable for those applications. Now, 330.23 is when you're dealing with an attic, uh, accessible attic. So you know you got an attic, you're going to crawl up into it. Uh, it's got some rules for that. Now, rather than have all the rules here, it's going to regurgitate and send you over to 320.23, which is going to be more detailed application of the perimeter uh, of protection as you come through that attic opening. So all it does right here in 330.23, it just reminds you, it says the installation of type MC cable, again, can't be subject to physical damage, so we have to have some rules here. It says inaccessible attics or roof spaces shall also comply with 320.23. And of course, 320.23 is going to talk about the application of whereas you might have a six foot to the nearest edge of the scuttle hole or attic entrance, or if you have pull down stairs, then it needs to have at least seven foot from it. Uh, And this is an all-encompassing arc, if you will, kind of like a bowl you put over it in all directions. Uh, You need to protect it. So that's why it sends you here because it's a little more detailed in 320.23a to follow. 
Uh, and so it's just easier to just regurgitate it. In other words, you could just simply cut and paste this into 330.23, but that code making panel decided not to do that and they haven't done that and they're just going to reference you over to 320.23. Um, so personally, I would like to have all, I don't like when it sends you to other articles if you can get away with it, but it's just, you know, it's okay. It works for us. Uh, the next one is the bending radius. This is one that many people take for granted because I have seen people literally bend their MC cable uh, and they must think it's non-metallic sheath cable because they bend it and they don't take any consideration to what happens to those interlocks on the back side of that cable. They end up crushing and compressing on the inner diameter and then they ex- expand out and elongate on the exterior or outer diameter of the bend, both of which are bad news for MC cable. You have to remember we have insulated conductors inside of an armored cable assembly. The last thing I want to do is have a situation where those conductors could get pinched by that armor, okay? And that is never going to be a good thing. So we have what's called some bending radius rules that we're going to follow. And there's there's an A and there's a B and there's a C, okay? So we'll look at each one of them. Now, here's what the code says. It says bins in type MC cable shall be so made that the cable will not be damaged. So, in you bend it and it elongates and pops out the interlock on the back side and I'm an inspector and I see that, it is now damaged. You're going to replace it. You can't fix that. You've already caused that interlock to snap apart. And yes, it might last longer than you and me, but you have damaged the product. Install it right. Be cautious of how you do it, be courteous of the product, and it's going to last a lifetime, but you got to do it right, okay? Um, Again, take pride in what you do. Make everything neat. I hear a lot of people say MC is not as neat as rigid. It's not a skill set like rigid or EMT, but you know what? It's still a skill set to be able to run a nice looking job with MC cable, and you can still know how to do rigid or EMT or whatnot. Two different skill sets, okay? One is easier than the other, but you can still make one look crappy over the other. I'd much rather see a nice MC run than a guy or gal that doesn't know how to run rigid or EMT and they're using factory elbows and factory offsets everywhere because they don't know how to bend it. There's no way that you can argue to me that that's a greater skill set if you're using pre-done elbows and offsets and whatever and you don't know how to bend it, okay? That is a skill, But don't try to say that that's more skillful than running neatly run MC cable if you don't know how to do all that stuff like offsets and whatever like that, okay? Again, all I care about as an electric contractor, to be honest with you, is getting the job done. And I want to make it look neat no matter what product I use. And I'm going to use MC cable if they allow me to use it because it's it's easier to install, less labor, less time consuming, more margins in there. Uh, when you look at the overall concept of the scheme, and that's what I'm going for, okay? Everybody's different, but I'm just giving you my opinion on that. All right, so bending radius, you can't, you don't want to do it so that you damage the cable. It all goes on to say the radius of the curve on the inner edge of the bend shall not be less than required in 330.24A through C. So we have an A, B, and a C. Okay, so we're talking about the inner bend. So the point where the bend starts in the point where the bend you know, changes direction, say a 90 degree kind of a direction. So if you think about it, you're really bending it around the diameter of a ball. And you might have a, one might be a tennis ball, 
And one might be a softball, one might be a baseball, depending on whether or not you're dealing with smooth, corrugated, or interlocked. So let's look at it. So the first one is smooth. Now remember, smooth is a continuous extrusion. And to paint a picture, it's kind of like EMT, which is a tubing that's extruded. And this is extruded, and it is smooth. It's not broken up. It's not interlocked. It's not interlocked that's corrugated and welded. It is a smooth, it's like a total extrusion. For lack of a better term, if you're familiar with MI cable, it kind of looks like an MI cable, okay? But it still kind of uh, has this shape of a MC, but it's a pure extrusion type of thing. Now, when you build that, that is real easy to bend it too much and crack the back side of it, and you kind of defeat the purpose because smooth sheathed MC, remember, the armor gets used as an equipment granting conductor. So you want to take care of that armor. All right, now, you've got a one and a two and a three here, and it's all very much dependent on the diameter of the cable itself. So number one, it says, okay, we're going to have a 10 times, so that's your multiplier, 10 times the external diameter of a metal sheath cable, not more than three-quarter of an inch in exterior diameter. Now, where do you get this diameter? You get it from the manufacturers. They'll have it on their product cut sheets, okay? So if it was a certain size, diameter, you take that value, you multiply it by 10, and that is the maintain minimum bending radius that you have to maintain. So you have to make sure that the bend, where the point where it starts the bend to the point where it ends the bend, you want to make sure that you maintain that radius, and it is 10 times the diameter of the cable when it is not more than three-quarter of an inch. Now, the next one is 12 times the exterior diameter of the metal sheathing of a cable when it is more than three-quarter, but it is not more than an inch and a half, okay? So the window between more than three-quarter, okay, and not more than one and a half, then you have the multiplier of 12 times that diameter. And then you bump up to the big boys, and this is when you're dealing with a cable that is going to be uh, more than an inch and a half in diameter. That's the external diameter. And in that case, it's 15 times it because it's much bigger, and you have the bigger conductors, and you have to bend it, and there's so much tolerance in that bend, and the conductors are so much larger, they don't bend as easy as the smaller stuff, obviously. And so you just have to make sure that you protect the product. And so, again, in your mind, you visualize... Whatever that diameter is, when you do the 15 times the diameter, think of that as you're bending it around a ball of that diameter so that you maintain that nice symmetrical bend. It's not a real sharp 90 that can really damage the outer portion of the armor as well as compress the inner portion. And if you compress the inner portion, the real problem is, is the armor starts to kink into itself and it can push into the insulation and create a ground fault condition and that is not good. Once it's in the wall, you ain't finding it, my friend. That's not something you want or I want or anybody wants, okay? So that's smooth sheeted. So we've got our 10 times, 12 times, and 15 times. The next one we deal with is B, which is 330.24B, and that is interlocked type armor or corrugated sheathed armor. Now, the good news here is you only have one dimension to remember here when you're dealing with interlocked or corrugated, and that is seven times the external diameter of the metallic sheathing, whether it's corrugated or whether it's interlocked type armor, okay? Now, same thing. You get from the manufacturer the diameter 
Okay, the external diameter of that cable assembly, multiply that by seven, and that value is your maintained bending radius. And you don't want to be any tighter than that. Can you be greater than that? Kind of a kind of a nice smooth loop, you know? Sure, but you can't be any tighter than that. So really, what we're trying to do is maintain a minimum bending radius. Okay. So that's the kind of thing, because if you bend it any tighter, then you're going to damage it, all right? And the last one is 330.24C, which is shielded conductors. So I have shielded conductors that are inside of an MC product. Uh, and this might be, for example, a product like a variable frequency drive MC with the shielded conductors inside of it, something in that nature. Then you've got a dimension here, and it is 12 times, that's a 12 now, times the overall diameter of one, of one of the individual conductors, you can use that, cal- that that formula for one of the conductors inside, or it's going to give you another method here, or you can do it seven times the overall diameter of a multi-conductor cable, whichever is greater, okay? So you can take whichever is greater, so I can do it by one individual conductor, or I do it seven times the overall diameter of the multi-conductor cable, and I take whichever is greater, and that is my maintain. Here, the whole goal is not to damage the cable, okay? That's your whole goal, all right? So if I have a shielded conductor, and maybe it's a single conductor cable, and I'm shielding it, and that's an individual, then I'm, since I don't have a multi-conductor cable, then I'm going to utilize the individual conductor, and I'm going to do it at 12 times the overall diameter. And that's how I'm going to do that. If it's a multi-conductor cable, then I'm going to compare the two, this single conductor at uh, 12 times, or I'm going to compare it to seven times the overall diameter for a multi-conductor cable. And whichever is greater, that's the value that I'm going to use for my maintained bending radius. Again, the whole goal here is to not make it complicated. It's to keep you from damaging the cable, which ultimately can damage the conductors. And again, the conductors are the lifeblood of the system. You damage those, the whole system's going to come down like a house of cards. So we want to protect it. I find that the bending radiuses that people utilize are misunderstood and they tend to damage MC cable a lot. Uh, Trivia time. Um, People ask me all the time, what about individual single insulated conductors? What is the minimum bending radius for a THHN, THWN, things like that? There isn't one in the National Electrical Code for the 1,000 volts or less. Now, over 1,000, you do have rules, bending rules, but you do not for those that are less than 1,000 volts. So you want to consult the manufacturer of that wire and ask them what their recommendation is. The key is you don't want to bend it so much that you actually damage it. Uh, but getting some recommendations from the manufacturer is the best way to go. And every manufacturer should have a codes and standards division that is willing to answer those questions. That's what they're there for, to help give support to their product and answer any technical questions you might have on the product. So reach out to them and don't forget that you do have manufacturers who are willing to take your call. All right, the next thing we want to look at is let's talk about securing and supporting MC cable. I'm running it through these studs, and of course, if it's running through wooden studs or metal studs, it's already being supported because of the the nature of how the the studs are installed, so it's supporting. But maybe I'm running it in a suspended ceiling, or maybe I'm running it along the wall. I need to know. So I've got what's called a securing requirement, and I have what's called a supporting requirement, okay? So securing MC cable to boxes and enclosures, and then I have a supporting requirement is talking about the the actual span, uh, interval span of supporting an MC cable product, okay? So let's look at the general rule, 330.30a. It says, type MC cable shall be supported and secured. This is a general rule now. 
okay? Because there's an A, B, C, and a D, okay? But we're looking at the general rule first. It's telling you, hey, you want to use MC Cable? You're going to need to support it and secure it by staples, cable ties that are listed, identified for securement and supporting, uh, or support. I think most cable ties are, but anyway, that's language in there now. Maybe there's some that are not. Um, Next one says straps, hangers, or similar fittings, or other approved means designed and installed so as not to damage the cable. Anytime we see something that says other approved means, who do you think we're talking about improving that? That's the electrical inspector or the building official. The electrical inspector is acting on the behalf as a deputy for the building official who is the AHJ, and they can approve different types of material. Uh, And they might be fine with whatever method you're using as long as they approve it. Otherwise, you're going to need to use staples, cable ties that are listed and identified for securement and support, straps, hangers, or similar fittings, or again, or other approved means that are designed and installed so as not to damage the cable. We do not want to damage that cable. Okay, now let's look into the securing requirement. That's under 330.30B, as in boy, as in bravo, so I can sound military. Never served a day in my life, but I'm going to sound like it. Bravo. All right, so securing, unless otherwise provided, okay, and when that means is unless otherwise provided somewhere else in the code, it says cables shall be secured at intervals not exceeding six feet. Cables containing four or fewer conductors sized no larger than 10 shall be secured within 12 inches of every box, cabinet, fitting, or other cable termination. This is important. We're going to have to we're going to have to dissect this because here's a here's an application where I think people really get confused and I see this on exams a lot, okay? So when I ask you, uh, I'm dealing let's say I'm dealing with a cable that is I don't know, let's say that it is 6 number 10, okay? 6 10 gauge uh, conductors. Now remember what it says here. It says cables containing four or fewer conductors size no larger than 10 shall be secured within 12 inches of every box, cabinet, or fitting, or other cable termination. But I just told you that I had six conductors in there of 10 gauge, so I can secure that within six feet. I only have to go down to the 12 inches if I'm dealing with cables that are four or fewer and are not long, not larger than 10 AWG. Bet you didn't know that, did you? So yes, when somebody asks you that question on exam, it's very specific to the number of conductors and the size for within 12 inches. Now, just because I have, let's say, 250 KC mil and I can secure it within six feet uh, and I know by now that I don't have to do it within 12 inches because of the size of it, could I secure it within three feet? Absolutely. Within two feet? Most certainly. Within one feet? Yep. You could if you wanted, but you could go up to six feet. So this is an interesting one that I think people get wrong. They think it's always within 12 inches. But again, it just reminds you, and I'll read it again because it it bears a need for people to understand this. It says, cables containing four or fewer conductors size no larger than 10 AWG shall be, not shall be permitted. It says shall be, shall be secured within 12 inches of every box, cabinet, fitting, or other cable termination. Important to know. Because if it's not four or fewer, then and it's not 10 and smaller, 
then I can do it within six feet, okay? Just a little tidbit. I'm just trying to help you out. All right, now, it also goes on in that section to say, what about vertical installations? Okay, you know, we run MC Cable up vertically from floor one all the way up to 13th floor, and we do this all the time. It says, and again, we're talking about securing. It says, in vertical installations, listed cable with ungrounded conductors that are 250 KC mil and larger shall be permitted to be secured at intervals not exceeding 10 feet. How about that? So the general rule is here is that normal MC cable, I'm going to secure it every six feet. General rule, every six feet. Uh, When I'm securing it to boxes, cable uh, cabinets and fittings, uh, or cable terminations, if it is four or fewer and they're not larger than 10, then I got to do it within 12 inches, okay? So I'm learning all this. And now when I'm running it vertically, then I have a vertical installation, listed cable with ungrounded conductors, 250 KCM and larger shall be permitted to be secured at intervals not exceeding 10 feet. So I'm still going to secure it within six inches, of a box, I mean, excuse me, six feet of a box. But as I'm going from floor to floor to floor, the interval securement, I can do that every 10 feet if I'm running vertical and I'm dealing with 250 KC mil or larger. Okay. So there's a lot of information there. Um, and, and how you, how you do everything. Just remember six foot is your securing supporting requirement. Generally, you have to secure within 12 inches. If you're dealing with four or fewer conductors and they're not larger than 10, then I'm going to do it at 12 inches of every box cabinet fitting. Otherwise, six inches would rule the day. And if I'm installing it in a vertical application and I'm talking about the intervals, I can go up to 10 feet between securement points when I'm dealing with 250 KC mil conductors and larger. Okay? All right. So now let's talk about supporting. So supporting is what's going to help, pardon the pun, support the six-foot rule, and that is, says, unless otherwise provided, and this is 330.30C, by the way, we're dealing with supporting now, we're off of securing, it says, unless otherwise provided, cables shall be supported at intervals not exceeding six feet, okay? So we're, we're supporting these at six-foot intervals, um, and when otherwise permitted, you know, again, running through framing members and studying, it's, it's already really supported, uh, but unless otherwise permitted, and when would we say otherwise permitted? That would be things where we might go off to a luminaire, and we'll talk about that in item D here in a minute, but any other rule, just remember, you're going to support it every six feet, okay? Interesting enough, this rule, and I hate to transition into non-metallic sheath cable, but a lot of times when I see above uh, ceilings in an attic, when people run in and be above it, and you're having to support in and be every four and a half feet, which is obviously different than six feet here, but you do it every four and a half feet, and they think that it's it's adequately supported as it runs up and over the ceiling joists. Well, it might be supported, but you still can't get away with the securing requirement, and it has to also be secured every four and a half feet. So these two rules, even with MC Cable versus NMB, they all kind of work together. So you have to understand the six-foot rule, when that 12-inch comes into play. Uh, but your general rule is to remember MC Cable is the supporting is every six feet. Okay? All right. Now, the only provision that changes the six-foot requirement is when you're dealing with you know the horizontal aspect. 
Okay, uh, and you see before in securing, it's only talking about a vertical that you can go ten feet. They didn't say horizontal, so you still have your securing when you're running horizontal of of securing it every six feet. That didn't change. The ten foot allowance was a vertical, straight up and down. Okay, keep that in mind. Okay, now. There is another statement here in 330.30C that we've been talking about. What if I'm running it through framing members? Here's what it says when you're running MC cable uh, and you need to support it when you run it horizontal. It says horizontal runs of type MC cable installed in wood or metal framing members or similar supporting means shall be considered supported and secured where such supports does not exceed six-foot intervals. Okay. So it's considered. So here it's going to allow you to run it through framing members, and it is just considered supported as you go through it. Okay, all right. So next we want to move on to what about unsupported cable? Don't I get an allowance for unsupported cable? And the answer to that is yes, you do. That is three thirty point thirty D. It's called unsupported cables. So it says type MC cable shall be permitted. Again, permissive statement here shall be permitted because you could secure it and support it in accordance with 330.30 and dealing with B and C, but now it's giving you a permissive to go unsupported, and here's what it says. Type MC cable shall be permitted to be unsupported and unsecured, okay, in lieu of 330.30 B and C. Here's what we're trying to do here, where the cable complies with any of the following. This is any of these conditions. So let's look at them. There's three of them. The first one says, okay, I want to I run my MC cable unsupported. The first one says, if I fish between access points through concealed spaces in finished buildings or structures and supporting is impracticable, all right, or impractical. Now, this is probably a situation where I am fishing it from point A to point B in a wall and I cut an opening and I just can't get in the wall to secure it and support it. It's going to be secure and supported at the box, okay, that it terminates to, but I just can't secure and support the span. And the only way I'd do that would be to cut more holes in the sheetrock, and that kind of is impractical. We already had to do the supporting. Now, another example of this would be, because some people will say, well, what's the big deal? Cut holes in the wall. But what if I'm above a suspended ceiling, and I want to pull down to a junction box and in its existing application and I'm going into commercial building and I can get above the suspended ceiling and I can cut an opening and I can fish it down the wall and it comes out where the box is going to be, whether it's a switch box or receptacle box, um, and you wouldn't see any hole at that point. You just cut a box and put a, a handy box in it or something like that. Then I didn't have to cut any additional holes in the finished material. You never knew I was even there. Okay. And to be honest with you, it would be impractical to do it any other way. And this is what's allowing you to do it and fish it down the wall and you're fine with it. Okay, so that's the first use that it allows you to do that unsupported. Uh, The next one is item number two. And it says, if not more than six feet in length from the last point of cable support to the point of connection to luminaires or other electrical equipment and the cable and point of connection are within an accessible ceiling. So you're going to drop down to a luminaire that's in a grid or something from a common junction box. It was considered secured and uh, and supported by that fitting. And there's a statement here that we'll read in a minute that reminds you that that is the case. And so from that box, you have the fitting and you're going down to the luminaire and it's above a suspended ceiling. Now, it doesn't have to be just a luminaire. It could be other electrical equipment as well. It could be a heater or whatnot. And as long as you do that, and it's within an accessible ceiling area. 
uh, an open ceiling, above a suspended ceiling, whatever it may be, as long as it's considered accessible and it's not more than six feet, it's considered supported and secured from the last point of termination to the box and to the piece of equipment. So that's what this rule allows. Now, you're probably saying to me, Paul, well, where does the code say that that cable is considered uh, secured or supported when it makes a connection to that enclosure? Well, we're going to get there in a minute. Trust me, there's a method to the madness. You just have to follow along. So that's what you see a lot of times in suspended ceilings dropping out of a common junction box with a branch circuit that's feeding the lighting. It drops out and hits your luminaire. Okay, And you see that it's not secured and supported above a suspended ceiling because of this allowance. Okay. Now, item number three. Item number three that's considered to be able to use the unsupported cable is it says if the type MC cable of the interlocked armor type in lengths not exceeding three feet from the last point where it was securely fastened and it is used to connect equipment where flexibility is necessary to minimize the trans uh, the transmission of vibration from equipment or to provide flexibility for equipment that requires movement after installation. Very frequently done to motors, that motors that might vibrate, things like that, uh, that you or something that is going to be replaced fairly frequently, and you need that flexibility. Then we're going to let you use. MC cable of the interlock style to be able to do that and not go up to three feet. So that's dealing with an application that is not the same as a normal application we just saw in item two, which might go to a luminaire, which is typically not going to vibrate or move or have any aspect of movement. Uh, Whereas here you can go to equipment that needs that flexibility because of vibration or transmission of vibration or the flexibility because you need to have that for frequent replacement or exchange of a piece of equipment, then you need that flexibility and it's interlocked. We'll let you go up to three feet and it's considered secured and supported at the actual junction box and the piece of equipment that it's connected to. Okay. Now, again, where do you get all this? After that, you have an important statement and it says for the purpose of this section. And when you see the code say for the purpose of this section, it means for the purpose of this section, what section are we dealing with? 330.30, that is the section, okay? And for the purpose of that, which this whole section is dealing with securing and supporting, it says type MC cable fittings shall be permitted as a means of cable support, okay? Now, obviously, they secure to a box, so it would be also considered secured to the box, uh, but it is considered a fitting. It is meets this requirement when it comes to being supported. Now, this statement pretty much goes with 330.30D, which is unsupported cable. So that's why it's making the statement of being uh, part of a cable support. Okay. Uh, next thing we get to is 330.31, single conductors. It says we're single conductor cables with a non-ferrous armor, okay, uh, aluminum armor, by the way, or sheathing are used the installation shall comply with 300.20. Now, I won't go into 300.20 in extreme detail because I've done that in previous shows, but this is talking about that induced current when you're dealing with ferrous metal enclosures or ferrous metal raceways. And so it talks about conductors grouping together or even talks about the individual conductors. And it talks about how you would do this because of 
alternating current as it passes through metal with a metallic property. And of course, the aluminum uh, doesn't have the, uh, the, the magnetic property in it. But it talks about cutting slots and gaps and whatever. And there's an informational note that talks about because aluminum is not a metallic metal, then there is no heating due to hysteresis. But it goes on to give you some other information. So uh, all it's reminding you of a situation of induced currents, and it really is beyond the scope of today's presentation. Uh, but just be aware of it and go look for our other podcast or video that talks about the application when you're dealing with ferrous armor and those type of applications. All right, so um, next is the Ampacities 330.80. That's the one that most people gravitate to. That's the one. That's the big dog in the room. They want to know what the Ampacities and conductors are and all that's good stuff. So the Ampacity of type MC cable shall be determined in accordance with 310.14, okay, or 311.60. So 310.14 is uh, is 2,000 volts or less applications, and 311 is dealing with uh, over 2,000 volt applications. Uh, But it just gives you the ampacity values in 310.14 and how to deal with them. And and it says, um, and I'll read you this in its entirety. It says, an ampacity of type MC cable shall be determined in accordance with 310.14 or 311.60 for 14 AWG or larger conductors and in accordance with table 402.5 when you're dealing with the flexible cords and things like that uh, is in for 18 gauge and 16 gauge. Uh, It says the installation shall not exceed the temperature rating of the termination and equipment. Just to remind you that even though we do adjustment and corrections on MC cable, and I've got a, a video on that called Derating Demystified, we might adjust from the 90 degree, but we can't exceed the terminal ratings, and that is all covered under 110.14. So it's important to you understand that once we gain the ampacity values and we go to 310.14, which is basically going to tell you what tables you go to to find the ampacity. It's going to remind you of terminal limitations. Uh, it's going to tell you about the different adjustment and corrections that you have to be aware of and all those things that you have to take into account. Uh, and it'll also send you to the ampacity tables uh, that you're going to find in 310.15, which incidentally is going to end up sending you to 310.16 for the ampacities and all that good stuff, okay, is where you get your guidance for your ampacity, okay? But always remember that you're going to be very much limited to the terminal and you have to take into consideration the temperature rating of the equipment as well as the conductors in question. And all insulation has a temperature rating on it, okay? All right, so that's, uh, that's where you're going to get your ampacity. Understand on the National Electrical Code, we are still going to adjust an ampacity of a conductor based on the number of current carrying conductors or the ambient temperature to where they're located. But this gives you the guidance where to go to start that journey. Okay. And that's what it's going to do. All right. And I will tell you right now, under the 2020 National Electrical Code, there has been a restructuring of Article 310. So you really want to invest some time in learning it because, for example, ampacity table was 31015B16 in the 2017 code, it is now 31016, like it used to be many years ago. So a little bit more um, of uh, proper alignment, if you will, when it comes to 310. And the other benefit is medium voltage has been extracted out of 310 now because of the confusion people had with duct banks and applications. It's now been moved over into 311. Okay, so that's why you see the reference to 311.60 
that's where you're going to you're going to get into the over 2000 volt applications uh and then of course uh 0 to 2000 volts is going to be in 310 okay uh, and so that's what you're at. Now, the next one is, now, what about, we're still dealing with ampacity. What about the ampacity of the conductors when I stick them in a cable tray? Well, remember what we said earlier, now the ampacities of MC cables when installed in a cable tray are now going to be determined by the guidance of 392, which is cable trays, and the section is going to be 80, so it's .80. So 392.80 is going to give you guidance on how you deal with MC cable when you stick it in a cable tray. And when you get there, you're going to have some rules that you have to follow. It's going to determine how many current current conductors, uh, whether it's a solid unventilated cover, then you'll have a reduced percentage for ampacity. And of course, they are going to be based on the ampacity tables, but you take a percentage of that. There are so many things that you have to take into account that the code is just saying, look, if you're going to put MC cable in a cable tray, Guess what? Now you got to go up to 392.80 because that is a supporting system that you're putting this cable assembly into and it's got its own rules, okay? And as I said, I'm going to be doing a show on article 392 and we will cover ampacities, calculations, width, sizing, cable trays, all that good stuff in the future. Uh, unfortunately for many of you, that will be over on our Patreon. And yes, you're going to have to have a subscription. I'm not putting that up on the free prod- podcast because that's a visual one. And for 2020, all of our lessons that are video lessons uh, are going to move to Patreon. I'm sorry. We, you know, I got, I got to feed the family. I got kids to feed, my friends. So again, this one and the podcast are always going to be free. But the videos are going to move towards Patreon. All right. So anyway, that's cable trays. Now, what about single MC cable conductors that are grouped together? So here's what the code says here. It says where single type MC conductors are grouped together in a triangular or a square configuration. And that is actually how you actually bring them together and and group them together to run them. Okay. And installed on a messenger or exposed uh, with a with uh, with a maintained free airspace of not less than two point one five times one conductor diameter. So basically, that's two point one five times the diameter of the largest conductor contained within the configuration and adjacent conductor configurations or cables. The ampacity of the conductors shall not exceed the allowable ampacities in the following table. And of course, then you've got one and two. In numbers one says, well, you can use table 310.20 for conductors rated 0 volts through 2,000 volts. And then it says, well, you use table 311.60C67 and table 311.60C68 when you're dealing with those conductors that are over 2,000 volts. All right, so that's, you know, again, the code permits me to have a single type MC conductor. So I can have a single conductor MC cable, but maybe I want to group them together in a triad or a a, um, square configuration, four conductors or three conductors, and I group them together. And I install on a messenger uh, or exposed with a maintenance, uh, with a uh, a maintained free airspace. And I maintain that airspace between these groupings of 2.15 times one conductor diameter of the largest conductor contained within the configuration, as long as I maintain that spacing, 
Then I can go and use table 310.20 for conductors rated 0 to 2,000. Or if I'm doing, again, over 2,000 volts and I got 311.60C67 through table 311.60C68. So I, you know that's for over 2,000 volts. So I've got some applications. So again, that's, that's where you take these single MC cables and you bring them together in a, in a triad or a squared out format. Okay. Uh, the next one is 330.80C. It is new for the 2020 National Electrical Code, and it talks about thermal insulation. And here's what it says. It says, where more than two type MC cables containing two or more current carrying conductors in each cable are installed in contact with thermal insulation, caulk, or sealing foam without maintaining spacing between cables. It says the ampacity of each conductor shall be adjusted in accordance with table 310.15C1. Now, this isn't new. While this reference is appears to be new and how they structured it, we had to follow these requirements before when we're dealing with the more than three current current conductors in an application when you're grouping and bundling together. Previously in the 2017 code, we were familiar with 31015B3A, and here it's been a total restructure. So now when we're dealing with the uh, ambient applications, that's a correction. That's under 310.15B. And when we're dealing with adjustments, dealing with the number of current carrying conductors uh, in an assembly or grouping, we're dealing with 31015C. So a little bit of a shift. It might get some people confused, especially us that like to rattle off and seem like we're impressing people when we go 31015B2A, 31015B3A, 31015B16, 31015B7. Okay, that sounds good. That's our that's our parlor trick. Whatever. But we learn these things and we come accustomed to these terms because we use them so much. But in reality, this is just saying, hey, be aware that if you're going to do that, if you're going to put it in contact with thermal insulation, that heat cannot dissipate. You need to go look at table 31015C1 and, and all of those rules apply and you might have to make an application where you're going to have to adjust it. Okay, keep that in mind. Now, lastly, we end up in part three. Again, I'm going to spend less time in part three. This is this podcast is a little longer than I wanted it to be. Um, We're talking about the construction specifications. All of this stuff is generally done by the manufacturer. Okay, so but some of the things that I want to show you is where people ask certain common questions. For example, the conductor types. What type of conductors can be in an MC cable? Okay. All right. For ungrounded or grounded or equipment grounded conductors, the minimum conductor sizes shall be 14 AWG copper, nickel or nickel coated copper, all of which, you know, nickel or copper are 14 gauge. Uh, And it says 12 gauge or 12 AWG. AWG stands for American wire gauge. Used to be old brown and sharp measuring method. Uh, That aluminum or copper clad aluminum. So those are minimum sizes that we see generally for ungrounded, grounded, and equipment grounded conductors. Okay. We're not talking about the control and signaling conductors like we see in a specialty cable we talked about earlier, like um, where you have the power conductors and you have class two, class three cables inside of there for use in things like um, controlling the lighting on a smart system. Okay. This is the power conductors. Okay. This is the circuit conductors as well as an equipment grounded conductor, which isn't considered a circuit conductor. Uh, that's the ungrounded and grounded. It's the equipment grounded conductor. Anyway, they have a minimum size they have to be. And I'll remind you that copper clad aluminum is 
the same as aluminum, even though it has a veneer of copper. For all intensive purposes, despite what people want to argue, it is still considered aluminum and the ampacities align themselves with aluminum. So just because it has that copper. Now, the good news about the copper clad is that it kind of broadens up the termination possibilities for certain types of conductors uh, and termination aspects of it. Uh, and so, again, it, there is uses for that, uh, but it is really, in all intensive purposes, once you remove the wrapper, it's, it's an aluminum product, okay? Now, one thing that is clear in the 2020 code is that what about those control and signal conductors there's a minimum size as well, and that's fine because in copper, the minimum size is 18 gauge. Uh, it applies to nickel as well or nickel-coated copper. And the minimum size for control and signal uh, in copper-clad aluminum and aluminum is, check this out, for copper-clad aluminum when you're dealing with control and signal, we're now going to allow it to be 14 gauge. Boy, they opened a gate up for that. But it is for control and signal, so that can also be 14 gauge as a minimum for copper-clad aluminum when you're dealing with control and signal, whereas, again, copper can go down to 18. Now, aluminum is still going to be maintained at 12. So even for control and signal, if you had control and signal conductors inside of that uh, MC cable with those power conductors, uh, even the control and signal, if it's aluminum, it can't be smaller than a 12-gauge for that as well. Okay, So that's pretty much the same. 330.108. Is O a word? Uh, is, a, is that right? 108? No. 108, that's more accurate. I think we're used to saying O, but it's 108. So 330.108 deals with the equipment grounding conductor. Now here it says where type MC cable is used to provide an equipment grounding conductor. Now why does it say it like this? Now that brings me into the topic I was going to talk about earlier, but I'm going to talk about a specialty product here in a second. But the reason it says where type MC cable is used to provide an equipment grounding conductor it shall comply with 250.11810. And of course, 250.118 gives us the different types of equipment grounding conductors. And it has to comply with 250.122. And that deals with the sizing of an equipment grounding conductor, which corresponds to the overcurrent protective device that's ahead of the circuit itself. So let me come back. There are some MC cables out there that we call specialty MC. And that specialty MC has an armor that can be utilized as an equipment grounding conductor whereas the standard MC, it cannot. Now, what do we do to an MC cable so that that armor can be treated just like we use it in an AC cable? And we want to get all the benefits. And what are the benefits of it? Well, in a specialty MC cable where the armor is to be used as an effective ground fault current path, we have to put an aluminum grounding slash bonding conductor in there. Now, if we have copper inner conductors for the circuit conductors, that's fine. But outside of the polymeric wrap, outside of the conductor's inter-cabling assembly, we have to run an aluminum conductor all the way the entire length of the cable assembly. Just like the little conductor that we run inside of the AC cable, we're now doing it inside of the MC cable. Now, what do you do with that conductor? Okay, well, all it's really doing is making intimate contact with the armor the entire length of that cable assembly. So now when there's a fault onto that armor, it has a more direct path back to the source. It doesn't have the issues we have with normal MC where you have the choke effect or the magnetic field of expanding collapsing that can cause a choke effect 
on that return fault current, now you have current that will travel from convolution to convolution more direct, and it lowers the impedance of that run, and now you clear an overcurrent-protected device. Now, when you get to your fitting, what do you do with that that 10-gauge a grounding slash bonding conductor? You really just cut it off. You bend it back, and you just snip it inside the outside, just inside the perimeter of the armor itself so it doesn't protrude out and inhibit the connector that goes on, and you cut it off. There's some people that say, well, do I take it into the box? Absolutely not. You cut it off. So the whole purpose of this wire is to connect all the convolutions. So once you get to the end of the cable, you have to use a special fitting. You can't use a standard MC connector. You have to use what's called an MCI-A. Now, the A, I like to think of it as A for the armor or A for advanced. You're using the armor where a traditional MC, you can't use the armor. So that 10-gauge grounding slash bonding conductor, you simply snip it off. Now, if you get this product in with conductors in it that are 6-gauge or 8-gauge, then that grounding slash binding conductor jumps up in size to an 8-gauge. But the traditional sizes that we use, 10-gauge conductors, 12-gauge, uh, all of those are going to have a 10-gauge aluminum grounding slash binding conductor in there. And again, you snip it off. It's done its job. If you use the proper fitting, you connect it to the cable. The cable, cable connects to the box. Everything's tied together. Now, what is the benefit of a product like that? The benefit is I don't have all these equipment grounding conductors that I have to tie together inside of the junction box. And if I don't have to tie them together and they connect to the metal box, which connects to the fitting, which connects to the armor, all of it's working as one. Think of all the labor that I've saved making all these joints up, all the wire nuts, or I should say wire binding device because wire nut is a trademark of ideal. Okay, so... We make all this labor savings deals with this product. And every manufacturer makes a product like this. It is a more enhanced MC. Now, with that said, you don't have an equipment grounding conductor inside of the cable because you don't need it now. You're using the armor. In other words, it's a more advanced AC cable. Now, again, the difference between the AC and MC is AC is going to limit the size of conductors and the number of conductors that can go into a cable assembly. And MC does not limit the size and it does not limit the numbers. What is a limiting factor is, again, the the number of current carrying conductors that you put in the cable, which could ultimately reduce the ampacity of those conductors, which could be detrimental to your installation anyway. So, of course, there is a limiting factor, but theoretically, it's not limited, right? Okay, anyway. So, there's a big difference in the two products. Now, with that said, people ask me and they say, well, what is the difference now between that and a healthcare facility, HCF MC cable? Well, I'm glad you asked, okay? Because there is a big difference. One is that once you achieve that cable that we just talked about, that's a more advanced cable, and now the armor is being used as an equipment grounding conductor, and that is listed in 250.118 as such, that you can do that. Now, you're saying, well, what makes healthcare facility MC special? And when do I have to use it? Well, anytime you're going to run to uh, pieces of equipment that are located within patient care spaces in a healthcare facility, 
Uh, and I use a simple example, like, for example, a dentist chair. And you're going to bring power to this dentist chair, which has got all these devices that are on this dentist chair, which reminds me I have to go to the dentist. I hate the dentist. Anyway, they have to have, if it's a place where you're going to get examination and things like that, where fluids could be there, all this kind of stuff, then it's considered a patient care space. And in this patient care space, you have to have what's called a redundancy. And in that redundancy, it's all covered in 517, because 517 is healthcare facility applications in the National Logical Code, in case you didn't know that, Article 517. You're going to go to Section 13, and there's an A and there's a B. Now, A says the armor itself of the wiring method has to qualify as an equipment grounding conductor. Well, guess what? Our advanced MC cable qualifies. Remember, we had that 10-gauge aluminum grounding slash bonding conductor in there that touches all the convolutions. Hello, labor savings. We don't have to make all those connections up. That is an armor that's used as an equipment grounding conductor. Ding, 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 ding. We've got the first requirement. But then we have what's called 517.13B. And B says, okay, smart Alec, you've got the armor tackled, but now you're going to be required to have an equipment grounding conductor inside of that MC cable, and it has to be insulated. Okay? So you, what do we do as a manufacturer once we create a smart ground product and we create this armor that can be used as an equipment ground? Now, because of the redundancy requirements in 517.13b, we now put that an insulated equipment grounding conductor back inside of the MC cable. Now it's got two paths. It's got the armor as a path, and now it has the insulated. And why is it insulated? Because 517.13b says it has to be insulated. And, of course, it also has to be copper. So we put those back into the cable, and now we have what? Healthcare facility cable. It's not really... Uh, Hospital grade, people use that all the time. That's more about devices. It's it's HCF rated, so it's healthcare facility meets all the rules that are, that encompass healthcare facility requirements when you're installing it in a patient care space. Now, what about installing MC cable out into the administrative areas that aren't patient care spaces? Then you don't need the redundancy. You can use regular old MC for that application. Just remember that redundancy really has to do when you're dealing with patient care space applications, okay? So that's important. Now, can you do the whole place in a healthcare facility rated MC? Absolutely, if you want to, it's just not necessary. Now, because you got an insulated equipment ground involved in this healthcare facility cable, you're going to make up all of your terminations inside of the box, bond the box, and do all that as you normally would in that application. All we're looking for is redundancy here. So you simply don't make that overly complicated and make all your connections as normal. Okay. Now, what about AC cable? AC cable, the armor is already qualified as an equipment grounding conductor. We already know that. That's listed under 510.18. So how do we make AC cable a healthcare facility equivalent to our healthcare facility MC cable? How do we do that? Well, remember we said the armor already qualifies in a... Um, an MC cable, I mean an AC cable, because of the virtue of its construction, now all we do is we stick, you guessed it, an insulated equipment grounding conductor inside of our AC cable. Guess what? Now it is AC healthcare facility. Both are acceptable, acceptable. both do the exact same job, both are uh, pretty much close to identical in what their function is, 
The only difference that sometimes engineers and designers don't know that there can be used for those applications. And yes, we have a size limit on AC cable. It can't go over a certain size. Um, but if you're dealing with brand circuit applications, I could use AC healthcare facility or MC healthcare facility equally. The only thing you want to make sure is that the fittings are rated for the cable use. Okay, if it's an AC cable, then a normal AC fitting because the armor already qualifies as an equipment ground, then you can use any listed AC cable fitting. But when you're dealing with MC, you want to make sure that you're using an MCI-A fitting. Always think of A as advanced or A as an armor being utilized as part of a, a effective ground fault current path. Makes sense? Okay, so that kind of lets you know about those different products and how you deal with them. Okay. Now, the next thing we're looking at is 330. I just want to make sure I covered all those types so that you get that educational moment about the different types. Uh, the next thing we're looking at is 330.12, excuse me, 330.112, which is insulation. And all we do here is says that you're going to use insulated conductors that are listed in 330.12A or B. And so you have an A and a B. So A is dealing with 1,000 volts or less. And here's what it tells you. It says... Insulated conductors in sizes 16, and, uh, excuse me, 18 and 16 shall be of the type listed in table 402.3, okay? So that's where you're going to get your things like TFFN, TFN, whatever. That's what we're going to use, for example, in the products where we have the class 2 and class 3 conductors uh, inside the same cable assembly uh, with our power conductors, Okay. Uh, and then it says, with a maximum operating temperature of not less than 90 degrees C, so even those conductors inside of it, even though they're 18 and 16 gauge, they still have to have a 90 degrees C rated insulation, okay? All right, and then it says, for conductors larger than 16, shall be of the type listed in table 310.14A. Now, this used to be, I believe, 310.104, which was restructured, and now it's been it's brought over into a little bit of an easier flow format in 310. And there it's going to give you the different types, and that's when it's going to talk about THHN, THWN-2, XHHW, and that, all that type of the conductors that can be utilized in an MC cable. And then you're going to deal with 330.112B, and that's dealing with over 1,000 volts, okay? And so when you're dealing with over 1,000 volts, then it's going to literally send you to table 310.4B, but when you're dealing with over 2,000 volts, it reminds you again that you need to look at 311.10A, because I'll remind you again that 310, which is dealing with conductors, um, is 2,000 volts and less, or 0 to 2,000 is the way the code likes to say it. When you're dealing with over 2,000, that now is going to be covered in Article 311. And I like the fact that we moved all that typical medium voltage stuff outside of 310. It avoids some of that confusion, if you will. All right. Now, we're, we're getting close. Hang in there with me. We're almost done. The next one, we're talking about the sheathing. And that falls under 330.116. Now, remember, all of these here in Part 3 are things that the manufacturer. So if you've checked out, if you got bored and you said, Paul, you're, I'm not a manufacturer, why are you going over this? I understand. You didn't have to listen. Hopefully you stuck in there with me. But we're going to talk about the sheathing now. So the sheathing, here's what it says. A manufacturer now can produce the sheathing. It says metallic covering shall be one of the following types. It'll either be smooth metallic sheathing, corrugated metallic sheathing, or an interlocked 
metallic tape armor. Okay? So that's interesting because one is an armor and one is considered sheathing, but they all fall underneath the sheathing section within 330. It says the metallic sheathing shall be continuous or close fit and close fitting. Okay. Now, the reason it needs to be continuous is it's usually either an extrusion or it's in a interlock or a tape format, which is on a reel, and it actually is continuous. There's no welded joints in it. It's continuous. Now, the other thing about close fitting is we have rules in the code, for example, where we don't want the conductors, the cabling assembly that's inside the conductors that are plexed inside of the cable assembly to slide around a lot. So we want it to be close fitting, uh, and you have what's called a pullout test that we have to utilize under UL 1569 to make sure that those conductors don't just readily fall out of there, you know, that pull out. Now, when you're dealing with 250 KCM and larger, and you're running vertical and things like that, you have to be real careful because those conductors could slide. Now, there's manufacturers that make a specific product where those conductors inside do not slide, or there's traditional methods of doing offsets to add friction if you will, to those conductors against the side wall of the armor. So the close fitting requirement keeps everything in there and removes any type of gapping that could negatively affect the ability to support those conductors inside the cable assembly, okay? So that's part of our construction. And it's not really up to you uh, to worry about this. It's up to us or those that manufacture it to make sure that we follow these guidelines. And remember, all of the products are being evaluated by third parties, at the facilities many times a week. Uh, and uh, so all these things are being maintained. Now, it also goes on to say a non-magnetic sheathing or armor shall be used on single conductor type MC. Okay, so non-magnetic, that'd be like a, a, a aluminum, all right? And it's, it's type MC. It says supplemental protection of an outer covering of corrosive resistant material shall be permitted and shall be required where such protection is needed. Of course, that again gives us the opening to put a PVC coated material on it, whether it's through extrusion or maybe even something like a thermal setting or a a polyolefin or whatever, but most people will utilize PVC, polyvinyl chloride, and extrude that over top of the armor because that is very corrosive resistant. And you see here, this is giving me the permission to do this, okay? And then lastly, it says, the sheathing shall not be used as a current carrying conductor. And I'm going to leave that right there with a, obviously, nobody should do that, right? That's a no-brainer. Yes, we all know that. Again, you don't have to clap your hand. You know that that shouldn't be used. If you're using the armor (laughs) as a current current conductor, you need to get out of this industry now. Leave. Go somewhere else. Okay? Because you're going to kill somebody. All right? And then lastly, a new section is 330.130, hazardous classified locations. Whoop, whoop. All right, so what are we doing about here? We know that in Article 501, 502, 503, we frequently get references to MC cables. Maybe it's of the smooth type. Maybe it says it's corrugated type. Certainly won't allow the interlocked in a class one division one, but there's other things in class one division twos or class one division, uh, class two division twos. There's, there's a myriad of where we get to use these MC products. But here is something new that was incorporated into 330 to coexist with the requirements in these hazardous classified locations. And it says, 
and this is what the code says. It says, we're required to be marked MCHL. Of course, that's an MC with hazardous location marking on it. It says the cable shall be listed and shall have a gas vapor tight continuous corrugated metallic sheathing. There you go. So many in most applications in a hazardous location um, is going to require it to be at the least going to be continuous corrugated metallic sheathing. Okay. So again, I kind of, when I do this and I stop, I sometimes lose track because again, I have ADD. Everybody knows that I do. I'm going to read it in its entirety. It says, where we're required to be marked MCHL, the cable shall be listed and shall have a gas vapor tight continuous corrugated metallic sheathing, an overall jacket of suitable polymeric material, fancy word, polymeric, plastic, but polymeric could be in polyolefin or polyolefin, PVC, other thermosetting type of material, that's all polymeric, okay? So it has some material on it and a separate equipment grounding conductor. So that's interesting because typically corrugated metal sheathing can be used as an equipment granite conductor, but in a hazardous classified location, if you want to use an MCHL in that location where the classified location permits you to use an MC cable, you're not only going to have to have a gas and vapor tight continuous corrugated metal sheathing, you're going to have to have an overall jacket of polymeric material, and when we say suitable, suitable for the condition, and you got to have a separate equipment granite conductor. We're not going to let you use the armor. Okay, makes sense. There you go. So hopefully you got something out of this, a little bit of an overview. I really, be honest with you, I'm two hours into this podcast. It is longer than I wanted it to be, but I did want it to be the definitive, is that a word, definitive? The definitive guide to MC Cable um, and, uh, and how you install it is another aspect of a show that we could talk about. Uh, how do you strip it? What do you use? Do you use a hacksaw? Do you use a roto split or a roto cutting tool? Hopefully you do because that's the best way to do it uh, until you get into the larger sizes and then you just you have to use a hacksaw and you have to know how to do it. You cut it at an angle and blah, blah, blah. You don't want to damage the conductors inside. But when you're dealing with branch circuits, you know, roto split tool, it's nice to have if you're going to do a lot of MC work. I guess you could do the snap method where you snap it, pull it, and then use your diagonal cutters and snip off the sharp edges. Uh, but a lot of people frown on that. But it was, to be honest with you, it's, it's the way it's been done for years. You just have to be very careful because, again, we have bending radius conditions. And by snapping it, that conductor's at too sharp of an angle, we don't want to risk damaging the conductors. So... The wise move, and I'm not trying to promote tools, but it would be great for you to get a roto cutting tool if you're going to work any any amount of of time with an MC cable. It just makes the job so much neater. Make sure you cut that point off uh, and everything like that. So, hopefully, you got you schooled a little bit on MC cable. I want to thank y'all for hanging in there with me. Those that did hang in there with me, kudos. Uh, and for those that did listen to the whole thing, um, tell you what. Go to the end of the show in the comments area, wherever we post this, up on our podcast platforms or maybe on our YouTube channel. Give us a shout out telling you that you listened to the whole thing. I'm interested to see who listens to the entire podcast. I'm excited if you're excited. So anyway, folks, I appreciate you. I appreciate you listening to the shows. Until next time, folks, stay safe and God bless. You've been listening to Electrician Live.
with your host, Paul 